I'm Taylor Cranwell, and this is the Jackson City Social Club. You're listening to a live performance by the Virginia Coalition doing Jerry Germain. It was recorded in 2011 at the 930 Club. The reason you're listening to this is because we're interviewing Jared Nicolay, the bass player for the Virginia Coalition. During the interview, we discuss the band's early days, how they got signed, and we also talk about the band's influence of go-go music and how they took that music around the country and exposed it to listeners who may not have otherwise been able to hear it. We also chat about some of Jared's other projects, such as Astrovia with Olivia Mancini and Franklin Gotham with Kevin Atkins. Finally, we talk about uh, Jared's studio, uh, mixtape studio, right here in Franconia, Virginia. So without further ado, let's get on to the show. Okay, so Jared, welcome to the show, and uh, thanks for joining me today. My and pleasure. I know you're a busy man, and you have a lot going on, and I know you'll laugh about that, but you do. You, you have a lot of projects that you do. So. That's true. A lot of plates spinning. Look, so most people uh, know you from the Virginia Coalition, I believe, and that was a really big band in the area it, it less, less than a decade ago, and even up through now. I know you guys broke up, um, and, and we'll get into that, but let's just jump back to high school a little bit, and the forming of the Virginia Coalition. So how did you guys actually, how did you guys actually get together? Yeah, it was kind of a, a slow, uh, slow process. Um, in junior high school, um, one of the singers, Steve, Steve Dawson and I were in a band. Um, uh, we both went to different junior high schools, but a, a mutual friend thought we should meet and right. introduced us because um, we, she thought we would have stuff in common musically. And she was right. And we played, um, you know, for about a year. What kind um, of music were you guys playing? Um, it was, you know, a lot of REM cover songs. And, you know, we had a few originals. We played, I think, each of our junior high school's uh, dances. Mm -hmm. cool. So that was kind of cool. That's cool. Um, Although it's hard to dance to REM, I would think. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> no, we, that's why we played it once. Yeah. We played one dance at each school. The band I was in, we played one dance, too. It, it was it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. No, And then they were like, we need a DJ next time. So, yeah. so the two of you were in a, uh, an REM uh Sort of cover band. Um, were you yeah, I mean, originals at that point. Or? We had a few. Yeah, I mean, but it was you know we were in the eighth grade, so it was they weren't very good. Okay. You know? And how'd you guys? You, you said someone said you should meet each other. How did you guys? Was he at Hammond? Were you at GW? I think I was at Hammond. Okay, and he was at GW. Okay, these are middle schools in Alexandria. That's true. Those of you who Rival middle schools. They they called us gravel track because <laughs> our track wasn't paved. Yeah. <laughs> at Hammond, it is now though. And, and just so the listeners know, both uh, Jared and I are both T.C. Williams grads and both grew up in Alexandria. I did also go to, to GW and as and and, uh, and been an Alexandria native all my life. So but, yeah, our, actually, our first band was two dudes from Hammond and two from GW. Okay. So it was like we were, you know, it, it was we were. You were forming T.C. Williams before T.C. Williams. That's exactly right. Yes. And so it was actually cool when we got to T.C. We actually knew some people from GW, which was kind of a, a helpful thing. That's cool. And when you were in the early band, were you playing bass or guitar? No, I was or? playing guitar. Um, Steve was, um, at that point, who Steve was the guitar player and one of the singers in Virginia Coalition. He was playing a little bit of guitar and singing, but I was the main guitar player. And then the, other, the bass player was my friend Julian from Hammond as well. Okay. And then the drummer was a guy named Jamie who uh, was... A GW dude as well. Okay, so then you guys get together at T.C. Williams. Did you stay in a band with him with some different guys? Or I mean, it's kind of it gets a little blurry. Like my, I used to have you like really uh, proud of my memory, but my memory <laughs> now for some of those of that era is kind of a little bit squishy. Trust me, my memory is the same way. Um, I don't know. I, I have no idea why. Um, I mean, I have some suspicions, but um, especially in high school. But um, so I think it was probably not until. 11th grade that we got kind of back together as what would then become the, the kind of nucleus of Virginia coalition. Yeah. yeah. It was called under the sun was our, our high school band. Name. Okay. And, uh, who came up with that name? Uh, from memory, I, it was like our friends and friends of friends had, had said we had done every drug under the sun okay. collectively. <laughs> so that would, that I won't was, ask you if that's true or not. No, but. it's of course <laughs> not true. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's hyperbole, but you know, there, you yes. know, we were musicians in high school, so there was some, there was a grain of truth there, but, uh, but so we would practice at Steve's uh, parents' house and, uh, and then after high school, uh, you know, there was different 
some of us went to college, some of us um, started working, mm-hmm. and I always stayed involved with music and audio production and stuff like that. So then after things kind of calmed down after the, the college years, we kind of regrouped as, you know, young, like, grown-ups. Okay. And, you know, this is probably like three or four years after graduating, so probably like maybe five years. It's probably like, you know, mid to late, late 90s. Okay, so you all went to college first, and then and then sort of regrouped. yeah, That's and I never even went to college. I I I, I literally went right into um, like I got a, I I um, bought a studio and learned mm-hmm. how to do multi track recording and all this stuff, um, but all on my own, um, kind right. of while like independent study style. Yeah. While um, I I I went to community college for like you know maybe. A, a month or two. I think I, the only okay. class I was passing was archery. Okay. <laughs> so I decided that that was probably not the, the place yeah. I needed to be. Well, you never know. You could be a Olympian and be it's in a true. Wheaties box after that. So. It's, it's never too late. That's true. So then um, you guys formed. And, and so you and, and Steve got together. And the other guys that were with you were also from TC after college as well? Or? Yeah. So it was the lineup. It, it ended up being all TC guys um, from different years. You know, we I think we had a five-year... Uh, span. I was the the oldest. Steve and I were in the 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 we were the oldest mm-hmm. uh, in the band by a year. And then it was you know I think our drummer, I think he was four years or five years you know below us. So let me ask you. Was one of the questions I was going to ask is how much better were you all as musicians when you reformed as when you were in high school? Do you think? I think it was definitely like a case of. Um, our heads were just in a better place. Like we'd all had musical experiences of our own. Um, and they, and so under the sun actually played, I think they were still called under the sun without me involved. And, and, and cause I, I, I kind of fell out of the, the loop. Um, and they played for a little bit and, you know, did a little bit of like recording and, uh, like during college mm-hmm. and not, and they were all going to different schools and stuff, but they would like meet up and, and make, make stuff happen. But then it was really after everyone kind of finished school that we got serious, you know, found a new name and and kind of combined like our um, experiences that right. we had post high school and and with that with those experiences and kind of being a little more mature, it kind of like just turned into this new new thing right. and it was tighter and um, just we were just kind of better. Okay. You know? and, I, yeah. I mean, I I imagine your past experiences though in the bands probably helped you, you know, yeah. become tighter and know how to practice better. Like you know. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you. I, the band that I was in, we used to have friends come over and watch us practice, but we quickly learned we didn't get very far in actually right. really practicing. So we sort of had closed practice shortly after that. Yeah. You know, quickly, and then we we you know we would occasionally have an open practice, but most time it was like, no, no practice for us right. to go over one part time and time again till we got it right. Cause that's not fun for anyone else no, not or all. even you really, but like you have to do it cause it's yeah. like, you got to iron stuff out. But yeah, like, you know, and then also when you have people over, it's, it turns into a party and then, you know, yeah, exactly. You don't get much done. Exactly. So then, um, you guys, so after college in the, in the mid to late nineties, you guys started, um, well, you weren't in college obviously, but after the other guys got back out of college, you guys, well, let me ask you a quick question. Where did you come up with the name? We so in the early days, like so, Steve was out of college, but I think Andy was still in college, like finishing up. And I don't, um, so he was going to JMU, mm-hmm. which was helpful because we could get gigs down there because yeah. he was still attending school there, and um, a bit of a following, especially if he was in a fraternity or something. Right? Like that. Yeah, he was. He wasn't, um, you know, but he was. You know, he was a likable dude. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so we. I think the name came because uh, we would have to kind of descend on shows like from all over the state, like kind of like some of us would come from Northern Virginia, mm-hmm. depending on the, if it was the school year or not. And we would kind of rendezvous places. Sure. So it was just we just turned it into like a military task force kind right. of name. Right. And we also like ambiguous names like, you know, bands like the Association or something where it's like you can't Label tell a genre, to, right. you know, based on the name. You know, we didn't want to be like something like that was construed to be something because we, we liked all these different kinds of music sure. and, and it was kind of like we were all over the, the place stylistically. So we wanted to kind of like avoid any sort of commitment in a name. Yeah. Well, it's a cool name and it does, it does, it does everything you wanted it to. I mean, it's, it's, it's not clear enough exactly what it's going to be. Right. And sort of coalesces at some point. In yeah. I mean, a great, in retrospect, great I think sound. The, the coalition would have been a better name because like as soon as you give like a specific kind of region or you know, like we, we got compared to like Dave Matthews band a lot just because we were right. from Virginia and had it in our name. And, you know, I don't think we had much in common with him musically per se, but like it, you know, people hear that you're, you know, if your name is 
you know, a state, it's like you can kind of get lumped in with a bunch of stuff that maybe you aren't a part of. Sure, sure. But And if your singer plays the acoustic guitar at all, and right. from Virginia, that always yep. helps a little bit more, right. I think. So. Um, so who wrote who wrote the songs early on, or who wrote the songs for the most part in, in your career in the Virginia Coalition? Um, it was it kind of went through a few phases. The first record, since we were kind of just coming together um, again, kind of new, um, is a combination of a bunch of different songwriters, you know, um, you know, Steve, Andy, uh, and then our keyboard player, Paul wrote songs and I wrote songs. So the first record is kind of a combination of just all of our kind of solo music in a sense that we kind of just, um, contributed to and turned it into like a band right. kind of So record. you guys didn't write together. You wrote individually, then brought a song to the group. For the first record, that was a lot of it. I mean, there was some collaborations. There were songs that weren't finished um, mm -hmm. that we had to kind of, you know, collaborate to finish. But by and large, I think the first record was a lot of finished, for the most part, songs that we each had and kind of just um, sequenced them into an album. But then that quickly changed once we started touring and needed a second record. And a lot of songs grew out of jams in our basement or sound checks or whatever, or like a, a, um, there's a lot of like ping-ponging ideas back and forth. Like Steve would have a lyric and I would have a melody on a guitar and realize that they could live together. And then, you know, then you kind of, um, it was very spontaneous and organic. Like there wasn't any sort of like, now we must write, you know, right. we just kind of ended up with like a record and it was our second record. And it's, you know, I think a lot of people that listen to us think that's probably like, you know, their favorite record because it was just this like, very organic easy like n nothing was you know uh we didn't have to do it it wasn't like we were established already it was just kind of like we were, it was like literally just from being around each other all the time and playing all the time these songs kind of just happened sure you know? so that was that was kind of special yeah well that's cool the and then actually i was going to ask you how so this is always when i've seen interviews with bands before Sometimes they gloss over this part, which as a former uh, individual in a band or a member of a band, I always w was probably most curious. Of, and that is, you know, you start out, you start playing around, you build a bit of a following, you have some cool originals, maybe some of them are really, really great. But often bands will say, yeah, we, we started playing around and then we signed with this record company and then off we went. And where was it that a record company noticed you enough or, or that you got the, the interest that a record company says, hey, I want to sign you guys because we really think you got something here? Um, well, we were hard um, because, like I said before about us being kind of all over the map, like you, you, we weren't we didn't make any obvious senses to be like, you know, you couldn't market us based on like, oh, well, this worked for this band. So this will work for you because like our music was like we would literally have like kind of a country song and then we'd have like kind of a more like heavier kind of funky rock song on, you know, on the same record. And like that we and what we we liked that because it's like we, we thought that it would appeal to like people that, you know, liked all kinds of music and, you know, someone would find something they liked in what we were doing. But we found that, that trying to get to the next level, it was difficult because no one really had an established game right. plan for how to make that mass appealing, you know, right. to, to everybody and, and make it simple and easy to process as like a thing or a brand or whatever. But you all weren't trying to play music that would appeal necessarily to people. I think you were playing music you guys enjoyed writing, right? right? And right. if they liked it, that was great. Right. Or, or I mean, because there are some bands, and I would not have put Virginia Coalition, at least what I've heard uh, from you guys, in that category where you're you're trying to write a pop song. You're gonna right. write a song that everyone's gonna love. You're writing a song because you think this is really great music. Yeah, and that and that's you know I think that was the common thing, and and that's most bands I think when they start out. But I think the temptation is to 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 try to like you know take it to the next level, um, which usually means narrowing what you're doing mm -hmm. aesthetically or you know I, I would i don't want to say dumbing it down but it usually involves kind of making your music not as challenging sure you know um so you know and we we i, I would say we you know if you want to fast forward a few years on virginia coalition i think our last record um was kind of our let's see if we can do that kind of record and we and i and i love the songs on the last record you know in mm -hmm. as much as I do the early stuff, but in a very different way. It's like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of that last record because it sounds like, to me, it sounds like something that, that you know, it's, it's a very like mature and, you know, pro sounding record. Sure. But to me, you know, if I had to pick one, I, I, I like the, the way that the, the other stuff happens. It's a little more organic and sincere to me. Okay. Well, it's going to, well, going back, I'm mean, sorry, going back to my original question, where was it that, that sort of things oh, right. clicked? That's all right. No, no, no. That, that, that clicked uh, into, hey, we're going to, we're going to get a record deal here. 
Well, we were, we were, it was after our third record. So we made one record like on like my gear in the band. We started in my parents' basement and then we moved, then okay. we moved into a band house midway through the first record and moved the whole studio into the basement of the band house. And that's how we finished our first record, um, which was the one we kind of all brought songs, you know, to self-produced, self-written, self-everything. Self yeah. Like we didn't have any like, you know, like compressors, like we didn't like the, the, the it's, that, that it even is listenable is shocking. And that's arguable at this point, maybe. I haven't heard it in years. But but anyway, so we turn, put out... It turned out to be the best album sometimes. You know, some, some people do find that endearing, I guess. And it, and it is. And it's it's it was definitely like a time capsule for sure. Um, so then we recorded two more records um, with a guy named Ted Comerford. Um, we did this, the first of those two with Mitch Easter as well, who did the early R.E.M. records, which okay. was like... At, at that point, I thought that we had kind of peaked you know that was like what do you where do you go from here making the record you know with your hero is like that was pretty crazy but you were signed at this point no no this oh, is okay. self-financed like we we financed it by playing like frat gigs and like you know yeah i know i understand all over the place but then how did you get his attention or did you just hire so ted, him? ted knew him like so ted was a local dc kind of producer up-and-coming guy who had made a record with his band um with mitch and he's into he was into production as well so they, they kind of just hit it off and you know, we definitely um, paid, you know, I'm sure the going rate to, to work with Mitch Easter, but it was worth, you know, every penny sure. just from what we learned from the process and from and him. This is on your third album. Second album. Second album. Okay. So then we made another record. Which was entitled what? That was Sorry. called Townberg. Okay. Which was the, the, the title came from just the whole kind of like dizzying, like touring regime of like what town, you know, just like sure. the generic, like, you know, we're, we're where in, are we? Yeah. Townberg. seemed. We were going to do Townburgville, but it seemed a little too, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was a little yeah. too, too, too comedic or something. But So he comes in on the second album. Right. So then that, and that was the, the record that, you know, the songs kind of came really effortlessly on the road and, and uh, it had, you know, it was like a very easy process and, and super fun. And it was like the first time we'd all been in real studios and it was just super cool. Yeah. So then the third record, we kind of did the same thing. Um, we didn't work with Mitch on the third one, but we did work with Ted again. And that was called Rock and Roll Party. Um, it was kind of a continuation of like the, you know, our lives at the time of just being, you know, on the road, you know, 200 to 250 shows a year kind of thing. And that was probably our, our heyday of like just freneticness and just, you know, just saying yes to everything. And so then after that record is when an indie label out of New York, uh, Blue Hammock, uh, spotted us and they came to see us at a show and I'm not going to remember the college, but it was a college show. It was like up like, in New York. Yeah, it wasn't in, you know, God, it was somewhere in the Northeast. And, and it's someone will know someone else in the band will surely remember where this was. But um, but it was like a student. It, was, it wasn't like a frat show. It was like at, you know, like on like at mm -hmm. a college and like, you know, the, the school had booked us. And the show was so crazy that people were climbing in the windows to get into the show because it was so packed. And they were like they weren't letting people in. Right, right. So the label's there and they see this and they're like, well, this, okay, this makes sense to us. Yeah, so, that's awesome. So I think, and it was always a struggle because our live shows were always, you know, because of the kind of band we were, we're always like, people always would say, you know, you know, your records are cool, but like your live show is really where it's at, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I think that was the, the struggle always was to try to like make, make the records make as much, you know, of, a, of an impact as the live show. I want to, I want to jump. I actually do want to jump to your live shows in a minute, but I want to continue on the record. So you recorded, I think, six albums total. Is that correct? Um, one, two, three. Or is it seven? One, so three, four, five. Six. I think with the, if you include the live record, it's six or seven. Six or seven. I should know this, but. And so did, you, and I think you kind of hinted at this. Did you have a favorite uh, album at when all looking back and said and done? Was it the second album? I mean, or? the second album was like the most like, you know, kid in the candy shop kind of vibe. And it mm -hmm. was, it was, you know, I think at that point we didn't know what the reality of being in a band was. So it was like, it was all, all positive. Like it was just all potential and all the future, you know, after you do that a couple of times and you know, you're, you're always kind of like hoping to that things will be as big as they can be. And then, you know, like there's a bit of like, we've done this now for three or four years. So the, the, the novelty wears off and it becomes real. Um, so I think that from a, like a perspective on a period of time, that first record, the first or the second record, like the first real record with Mitch and Ted, it was definitely probably my favorite, you know, 
experience in the studio and stuff only because you can't it's like your first time you can't you know do that yeah. again so were they rec were you recording in your studio with them no we went down to um okay. mitch's studio it's called the fidelatorium maybe you said that and i missed it no no i didn't okay i'm leaving so, out important details no no no, no. Uh, i couldn't remember if you, if you jumped through and said that but go ahead but it has like it had like this willy wonka kind of quality like you know it's it's and i and i still i think that aesthetic has stuck with me where it's like you know um and i, I try to like emulate that on um, some small level in in my studio where it's like there's always something laying around that you can make a sound with or that sure. you can, that, you know, that maybe you haven't seen. You're like, well, what does this do? And just something weird that, that can inspire you to do something different, you know? And he, he, that was him in a nutshell. Well, that's, that's cool. The, uh, so your favorite probably was the second. Do you have a favorite song out of the van? Oh, man. Because I, 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 going back, I, I, again, I kind of stumbled across you guys later in life. And I've listened to now some of your music quite a bit. And I still home this year is probably one of my favorites, but I actually love uh, Jerry Jermaine, <laughs> right? A lot of it because of the go go sure. uh, that's thrown in there, and, I, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But uh, do you have a favorite song out of sort of uh, all your songs? And then also, in contrary, in, in contrary to that, do you have a song that you really never want to play again if you could help it? Um, you know, we're we're lucky because we we have like we just played two shows. Um, back to back for the first time in years, you know, cause we, we did, uh, we played at this place in DC called Pearl street. And, um, the first show sold out really quick and we were like, that's awesome. So we booked a second show. And so it was really cool to be able to, to play two shows. Cause usually we'll play once a year, you know, maybe twice a year, but to do two in a row was neat because we could pull yeah. out some of the songs that we don't usually play because, you know, we'll, one, because you have to, because you, you don't want to play the same show two nights in a row. And there's some songs you, you do have to play both nights, or at least we feel like we do. And then, but there, it was cool to get to like dust off some of the old, you know, the ones that didn't quite make the A-list always. Yeah. If you, you know, if you play once a year and you play, you know, 90 minutes or whatever. But um, to say I have a favorite song, I don't know. That's like, that's a hard one because there's so many songs and they're so, they're also different. Like the, the styles, you know, yeah. it's like, I'd have to pick like a favorite funky you know go-go thing and then a favorite kind of more folk sure you know it's it is a very different i mean you're you do have it quite a, a yeah, diverse yeah. uh song repertoire schizophrenic i believe yeah. is the word <laughs> okay but yeah no it's i don't know i'd have to get back to you on the you know i think what i would want to do is make like a greatest hits record where it's like it's like all my favorite like three songs off each record sure and make that into a playlist or something i think that would be that'd be fun um what about a, a song that you never want to play again is there <laughs> um god i don't know we you probably have to say one that's written by you because if you <laughs> because you're gonna have some haters in the band. Yeah, mostly, go, mostly Andy's songs. Yeah. No. no, it's funny because we, we again we have so many songs that we don't play the ones we don't want to play anymore. So sure. it's like we don't we don't hate them because we don't have to play them. If you know, I'm, there are definitely songs that if we had to play, you know, or had had to play when we were touring all the time, you know, every night would would have been annoying. But yeah, there's we're lucky, you know. It's like we, and I, you know nothing nothing viscerally. He's jumping out at me like, oh, I hate that song. So I guess that's a good thing. All right, so let me let me jump on to the, the, the what. I, so the live the live footage is I've never seen you live, which I hope to see next time you play. I will definitely but, remind you. But uh, from the live footage I've seen, you guys. Look like you put on a great show, uh, high energy, uh, but but not over the top energy in terms of like a, an annoyingness. It's, right. it's a it's an energy that goes with the music. We verge on annoying. <laughs> but uh, what you know, you, you have a great stage show. But what what do you think makes your your shows, you know, great, truly great, or better than other bands sometimes? And I don't want to say I know you're not supposed to compete with other bands in, in, in the right. music industry, but yeah, you guys it's... really do have a great show. And well, I thank you. Recommend anybody who hasn't seen them from at least what I've seen, check them out. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's like we we don't I feel like there is a certain like we don't take anything for granted. You know, we, we feel really fortunate and always have felt fortunate with the position we were at wherever we were in our career, you know, as a band to and, and almost more so now than when we were, you know, at the top of our game, you know, playing all those shows and going to different cities and having, you know, sold out crowds and stuff like that. And, and you know, it's a, that's an unreal um, it's almost like being like an astronaut or something. It's like it's a it's a very rare and privileged, you know, kind of experience to be able to to have done something like that. Um, so we never kind of lost the the gratitude, I think. Sure. Um, and despite it not, you know, 
crossing over into this sort of like, you know, undeniable, you know, consensus you know, where we could, you know, you know, we could still probably tour a whole lot um, and, you know, make some sort of living at it. But, you know, the cost benefit analysis of having to be away from home for the, for, for what that would yield just didn't make sense for us. So like, I think now to be able to even still all be in a room together and like each other and play shows and still not be, you know, you know, I'm sure we're not as tight as we were when we were doing it, you know, four <laughs> or five nights a week, but considering that we're, you know, how old we are and people still give a shit and come out and see us, like it's, yeah. it, it almost means more now than it ever has right. to be able to do it. Well, that's cool. Well, it, it, you get that appreciation from, from the, your history and that the fans are still probably clamoring to see you. you know, they, well, they, yeah, it's supply and demand. And, we learned yeah. that late in life that yeah. if you play <laughs> once a year, people actually care and, you it, know, but... And so um, I want to jump on the, the go-go influence in sure. your band. So, and, and I want to chat a second about the fact that for those of you who don't know, go-go is a style of music that is, that came out of DC. Um, I believe probably even the late seventies is when it really started, maybe even slightly earlier. Um, and I loved go-go. I, as a TC Williams uh, student, I used to hear it in the hallways. Uh, I used to go to shows. I used to see Rare Essence and, and Trouble Funk and, and some of these early go-go bands. Um, and, and I think it's one of the coolest music. And to, to jab at you guys a little bit, oh, yeah. probably 10 years before you got together, after the band I was in broke up, I kind of wanted to, I actually pushed to join, or put, not join, but create sort of a go-go band with a bit more of a rock influence, very similar to what you guys ultimately did. And I talked to a few drummers about getting together with me as, a, as being a drummer myself. And like, we chatted about it, but just never amounted to much. So when I saw you doing it and really doing it well, I was, it was, it was totally cool. And I, and I, I, I give you guys a lot of credit because it's, it's a, it's a really neat music to take around the country with you. Um, so to jump back, how did that, how did the go-go style of music get into your sort of into the, your, your music and your, yeah, well, well, we actually heard you talking to somebody, and we thought it was <laughs> thought it was a great idea. No, no. Yeah. I only talked to two people about it, I think. So no, unless you, I've no. got a time machine, okay, a DeLorean. Um, but uh, well, I think it's I don't know. Um, and I was I have to full disclosure. I was probably the least um, uh, go go. Yeah. Well, I was interested. I yeah. just was like to me, it just seemed like I didn't quite understand like you know the PA tapes that were going around and stuff like that like because they always sounded bad you know like the PA tapes right because they're, they're but they're supposed to sound like bad and yes like, that's the point you know and uh, it's the energy on them and it's just the party it's like it's you know it's the next best best thing to be in at the show is to have the tape from the show I mean the PA tapes you know would be only would be like circulated and you you know it was awesome to when to, you say PA tapes. So is that not a, a vernacular thing? Not with me. So no, the PA tape was like the cassette of a go-go show that someone had just recorded okay. off the soundboard. Okay. And, I just, and it, they always sounded like We terrible. just called them bootleg. You right. Know. Well, okay. So yeah, it's just a, it's a go-go bootleg. Is, right. I guess we just called them PA tapes. And um, okay. um, so, so yeah, there'd be, you know, various ones floating around to different people. And to me, I was, you know, I always appreciated it. Um, but I think there is a certain thing of it's like in the water in this area, you know, it's like having an accent or something. It's like you're if you're from around here, regardless of if you, um, you know, intend to, to absorb it or not, it gets in you. Sure. You know, so it's to me, it's that was what happened. It was kind of an inevitability that it was it was going to be in our music on some level, um, you know. I didn't, we didn't know how deliberate or whatever, but we, you know, we wrote a few songs that like, you know, Jerry Jermaine, like you mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier, I think before we started recording. Um, but like, you know, we always wanted to be funky and like have like people like at our shows dancing and stuff like that. So we, we felt like it was, you know, just part of, of that equation. And did you see, I mean, maybe this is, um, as far as I can tell, most of, most of your audience was white and, and, I don't know how much some of them were exposed to go-go unless you went to certain schools or you were from certain right. areas. And, a lot, and there's a lot of transient population that comes here from other areas right. of the country. So did they find that unique when they heard it initially and kind of ask you about, did you create that sound or... or... Yeah, I think it... Well, I mean, there wasn't so much like a, a, a literal conversation like where people were asking like, what is that beat? You know, but I, I think around here, everyone that in the earliest days of our, you know, the earlier shows where our, if, you know, the people that were coming to see us were just our friends that had the same experience sure. as us. They knew what was, they knew where it was coming from. But when we would get out to like Ohio and stuff like that, and we would kind of take that, that groove elsewhere was where it was interesting that the reaction was always the same. Um, like people would kind of move 
the same way when they yeah. heard it, regardless of having ever heard it before. Did you get big smiles? Like what is like kind of the sort of excitement? Like what is this really cool? Yeah, I mean, funky I think beat? I think that definitely had some sort of like subconscious um, um, impact on people that that was definitely to our advantage. I mean, it wasn't like yeah. we were we weren't surgically like you know doing this to be like you know oh this is going to get them you know like we're gonna. You know, I think it was this thing that is just an infectious kind of music. It is you absolutely. Know? So it's like and and to be the ambassadors of that. Um, in places that hadn't heard it, it again it was like we, we we I think we realized that it was a privilege to be able to do that and to you know hopefully not mess that up because because yeah. yeah it was it, it definitely helped us in retrospect um, make make a, we could play original music and keep people's attention yeah which is hard well you you guys played it and you played it well I mean, well, I mean from from watching and from hearing a lot of go go bands in the past you guys did a really good job at, at capturing well, thanks, that so. I mean I had you know I probably had the most to learn out of all of us um, you know when we started doing it so it was like a crash course for me but now it's like and even now like I'm working with a go go band at my studio um, on a you know pretty regular basis yeah. so it's it's nice to be able to to keep that in in the mix as well. So I was going to ask you like a couple more things on on, on Virginia Coalition, and then I was going to mm-hmm. jump to something else. But what do you have any memorable shows, or what was it, on top of that? What was the sort of the largest crowd you probably played for? I mean, there was a bunch. We played. Um, you know, we op- you know when you open for like a, a a big band, that's you know that's always fun because you're in front of like you know you know all these new people, and, mm-hmm. and it's just like a whole. You know, we I think we did. You know, we we. We were when we were playing. We we opened for a lot of the bands that were like doing really well at the time. Like you know, um, I'm trying to think who they would be even now. Like we, I think our first really big show we opened for the band Live. Oh yeah, uh, I remember them. Pennsylvania. In, yeah, New York, Pennsylvania. York, Pennsylvania. Um, so we opened for them in at the University of West Virginia, and like big outdoor show. Okay. And that was just like you know it was. A lot of people, sure. You know, and that was. I mean, you talking about like probably twenty thousand? I don't know. You know, it's it's at that point it just kind of, it just turns into one big thing oh, that's man. that's <laughs> looking at you. You know, it's like a big yeah. Were you more nervous for a show like that, or did or do you sort of disconnect yourself because it's such a blur? You don't really. It's... For yeah, for me personally, it's way easier to play when you're when you feel like you're on the moon or something. You know, it's like it's so mm-hmm. not real that it's like it's it, it's you're just kind of like forging a new operating protocol it's sure. like when you're to me the hardest shows are when you're when there's like no stage and you're like you're at eye level or it's you know it's really intimate and small and, it's, and they're still fun and like it's still it's a it's just way more intense when you're when it's you know that intimate um, yeah but when it's so big like that it's almost unreal yeah there's not really much to be nervous about i think for me the what about a memorable show is there anything that any any story you could share that uh uh, that something happened that some crazy person jumps on the stage and does something that you never expected or, um, well, we, or we, someone in the band does something you never expected. We, well, there's, <laughs> I, I can remember one time, one of, one of the guys in our band kicked the other one on stage cause he was, he was messing up and he like, whatever, he like kicked him literally in the middle of a song. And it was just to me, one of the funnier experiences. So. And they should make that part of the show. Like every <laughs> yeah. night, this is the part where he kicks him. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, most, we, you know, I don't know how much time we got because like there we played for you know 10 years for forever you know and um so there there's so many like a lot of the funnier stories are when you know the band like we're on a tour with a band and then the pranking starts happening where you start pranking the other bands and um, we did a long tour a couple of them with the band sister hazel um mm-hmm. you know again a while ago um they're super cool guys like just knuckleheads you know kind of like we are um and they, but they had a, we were opening for them because they're a pretty established band and they had a bigger pranking budget than we did. So like we were, we, you know, they would, they would do crazy things. Um, like, you know, they, uh, hired, so we used to, okay, well, so this is a whole nother story, but we used to play Africa by Toto. Yes, you did. Before Weezer. Before Weezer. Yes. So, and a lot of people thought we wrote it because it wasn't like a very popular song when we mm-hmm. were doing it because it wasn't quite old, you know. But it wasn't. It was kind of in that weird, like no man's land of like, not quite classic rock yet, but like too old for any you know college kids to know yes, what it was. Yeah, I understand. So we were on tour with Sister Hazel, and they told us we were playing. I think it was in like uh, Florida somewhere, um, where they're from, and they told us that 
some of the guys from Toto were actually going to come to the show that night. <laughs> so, so that we had to play Africa, you know, cause that would be funny. Sure. And so we we're like, Oh, sure. Okay. Like just, you know, total naive, you know, knuckleheads. And then, so we, we, we launched into the song and all of a sudden this, their, their guitar tech comes out in a loincloth chasing this guy dressed in a gorilla suit like, <laughs> running around the States. Like, well, and, and we, you know, so we had to play the song in, while this is happening. And, but they just did stuff like that. So they set it up, obviously, to pull yeah, the prank. Right. They, they, had, awesome. they had to make sure that we, had, we played it, you know. So, like, so that, that's how they, you know. So we're thinking that Toto's out there watching this happen at first. And we realized, oh, wait, they're not, Toto's yeah, not here. Yeah, we're the ones being punked here. Yeah, complete, like, 100%. So then we started doing things to get back at them. But we, you know, we had, like, very little pranking budget right, money. Right. So it was more like, you know, like, egging them and stuff. But, um, but yeah, they... But then you know, there's the the you know, put the tuna fish on the vocal mics before the show mm-hmm. move. Okay. The bet the bet the funniest one is the baby patter on the snare drum though. So when you go out as a drummer, you'll find yeah. this one. Has this ever happened to no, you? No, it has not happened to me. So like you get out there and the first time you just sit down and click your snare, just an explosion of baby powder flies up and Makes sense. coats you in a white you know film. And you're sort of stuck like that for a while. Because first thing you do when you go out there, so the whole set <laughs> you're just covered in baby powder. Well, that's a good one. I'll, I'll have to remember that one. And maybe use it on somebody else, right? Uh, and uh, and get them. So I was actually going to ask you, how did you guys travel? Did you just have a bus at that point? Or have you cars? seen the movie Play, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? I have. That's pretty much. Okay. We we checked every box. We I mean, aside from the blimp, I think we've done literally every kind of transportation yeah. you can do. We, the worst the worst thing we ever did was end up in New York City in a Winnebago. Okay. Because that, that well, you can't move them very well. You can't. Yeah, yeah. Just getting to the club and then then trying to park. Oh, yeah, um, it's a nightmare. A Winnebago. I mean, it was like the, we didn't, we were like, we're, we're going to do a Winnebago this time. And, and of course we got like the big one, you know, so we could right. all, you know, we had our studio set up on the thing and like, it was awesome. Um, but yeah, we've, you know, occasionally we do the tour bus thing. Um, but, but by and large, it was van and trailer for, you know, seven, eight years. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's most smaller bands. That's mm-hmm. sort of the, that's sort of the routine. I don't know if you make it to a bus, I guess maybe you've made it big. Yeah. <laughs> if the band gets to ride in the bus and the, and the equipment's brought along in a truck. That's... Yeah. But we, you know, we had like road crew and stuff like that. We, we, even though, though it was van and trailer, I think what we always preferred was to have, um, uh, kind of a civilized hotel situation where like, you know, we, we kind of doubled up, but we weren't the kind of band that would be like sleeping on people's floors sure. and stuff like that. We, you know, we, we compromised on, you know the transit the logistics I think, more to to, yeah. to make it so we had like you know room service and you know it's not very rock and roll but that's that's how we rolled i guess and then so what would what, what why the breakup in the end i guess well we never really I mean, broke we're kind of we always say we're like the carpet store like the rug store it's like <laughs> never quite we're going out of business, business. yeah we're, right. but we have great uh, discounts right now yes great um you know but obviously you guys decided you take a very long extended break or completely cut back on most shows yeah i mean i think it was just the, you know the typical like um so steve left the band first because he was the first to have um dependents um he was the breeder mm-hmm. breeder uh first breeder of the, of the, the group. band yeah so then then we were a four-piece for a while and we carried on like that for quite a while um i think we made two records like that um and a live record so three records were, were just as a four-piece and then I had a kid and um, I think just overall, we kind of were just viewing it as like, like I was saying before that the cost benefit analysis of always being gone versus right. the, the financial, you know, uh, you know, take away from it wasn't really. Were you, what, at what point did you get married in the band? I mean, were you were in the band, you were married at some point. Yeah, I got were you married. Were touring in, a lot? Yeah, we, I got married in 05. Um, Andy and I got married in the same year. Um, and... Uh, so yeah, we toured for quite a bit after that even. Um, and how was that on family life? Just talk Well, I mean, we, like I had been, um, where did she go on tour with you? No, she had, a, she had, she had to have a job. Okay. No, no. <laughs> she, she was at home, uh, making sure we had insurance. Okay, no. Good, good. no, my wife is a saint for putting up with the touring. Um, and we dated forever too. So it's like, you know, and we were never the, the kind of band that was like, you know, if you saw the Molly crew movie, like we were like the, the opposite okay. of that. So like it was. You know, well, I'm sure it was hard for for us to always be gone, and you know, and you always assume you know, like rock and roll every night. You know, it's like, but a lot of it is just like you're still in bed watching, you know, right. the you know, HGTV oh. at you know two in the morning sure. with your bandmate. You know, you know, so it's I don't know, it's it uh, I don't know how you know she she kind of just 
dealt with it. And then, you know, and I think at some point I realized that, you know, it was time to, to, you know, segue back into just being, you know, home on a regular basis. And, but my, my priority was to keep music as the main thing, you know, like that was the rule I made to myself is that as long as I could have a guitar or, you know, some musical instrument with me, like I would consider that a win, you know? So I started teaching, um, and then trying to do freelance studio stuff. And then the studio stuff started, you know, kind of taking off. Um, and then I worked out of school for a bit doing, uh, running a recording studio. And then that was actually for like eight years. And then just recently, a couple of years ago, I, you know, quit that job and opened up my studio, um, right. Right. and, you know, still teach a little bit and it's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, that's cool. I was going to, well, I was going to ask you a little bit. I was going to shift gears to say after Virginia coalition, you did uh, jump into a synth pop sort of duo i would say but yeah. you have guitars in it uh yeah. astrovia yep right and how did that point and i did look a little bit at olivia mancini yep who was your partner in that it seemed like it um sort of saw some of her history but how did you guys sort of meet up and get together she's a great human she's and we're still we're great friends um you know we we communicate at least you know on a weekly basis about you know we still make music together we and when we first started the project we um played locally like you know we probably did like 10 shows or something like that over the course of a few months when we put out you know we put what out year was what years was this man i don't know that i think it must have been it had to be around at least 2013 or 14 i would think yeah uh, that sounds right okay. i don't uh, to be honest i was doing I, a little digging but i saw songs and videos around that time and... yeah that would then then that's that's right okay um i would have to google it to, to know for sure, but um, that makes sense. That that timeline seems right. But so basically, our drummer in Virginia Coalition, Adam, who's our second drummer, um, but he was also a T.C. Williams guy. Um, so that, so it wasn't you know like having him be our second drummer wasn't like you know this jarring thing. Mm-hmm. He was just another one of our friends that right. that you know could had similar aesthetics and you know could play the drums. So so he was and he was our drummer for the for the kind of back nine of the band um and he knew he had subbed in for olivia's band um for a gig or something and he just thought that you know not unlike i guess the the, the person who was like thought i should meet steve you know back in eighth right. grade he was like you and my friend olivia should meet you guys would definitely get along really well and and so he kind of arranged this meeting at um iota at the great yeah. club that is no longer a great club that's my iota story uh, <laughs> is that i met olivia there because adam oh, that's cool uh kind of like music blind dated us and uh so it was great we uh made you know a couple eps and i produced her solo record that she put out a few years ago and we're actually going to do another solo record for her this summer um here at the studio so it's it's uh it's just been a great um musical relationship relationship and it, it, and it was like the opposite of what um, I'd only experienced before was where it was like, you know, we, whereas you're part of a band and it, you're kind of monogamous with a band, mm-hmm. um, because you're just always traveling with them. Like with Virginia coalition, we, we, we couldn't really do side projects because we weren't home right. and, you know, and, and our band was our business and stuff like that. So getting to do stuff with Olivia was like a fun way to like find out the, like the other clubs in town that we had never played. Like, so it was just cool to get to go play like rock and roll hotel or whatever other, you know, like kind of more mid-sized yes. and smaller venues um, that are out there and just meet a bunch of different people, you know, like just to, that, that we had, you know, cause I feel like we were gone for 10 years when a lot of these other bands that necessarily didn't go out and tour, but played a lot around DC and kind of built up, you know, um, a community that mm-hmm. we weren't a part of, you know, so it was really, really cool to, to get to just integrate into that a little bit. Yeah. She, I mean, she's got a great voice and I was sort of listening to some of the, some of the music, you know, again, I have not seen, seen you all or, or, or actually didn't, hadn't heard of them until I was doing some research on you. But then I was looking at, I was impressed that, uh, one of the songs fame mm-hmm. had you know, 61,000 hits on YouTube. And that's, that's, that's no joke. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a bonafide song that, that's getting some attention. And have you thought about touring or working more with her? I know you said you, you, you split up or, or you do stuff with her, but you're as a band Astrovia. Yeah, I mean, it, it was always ended. it was always hard to like because we had to like kind of um, like on the records where either she or I are playing everything mm-hmm. like we sing and play all the of the instruments ourselves. Um, so playing it live, you always had to you had to find people that would learn the parts, and then and, and then for me, it always is a case of like, well, it doesn't sound quite like the recording, right? And then I'm like, eh, is you know, is it really worth you know? I would always kind of be like a little disgruntled, and a lot of it's just my ability to do. Like when what you can do in the studio 
it's hard to do live because you have to do it on the first take. You know sure. what I mean? It's like you can't just do it until you get it where you want it. And I get a little spoiled with that working in the studio all the time. So to me, playing live, like Olivia's, uh, like she would play live every night. I think she loves it and yeah. she's great at it. You see, she's a good performer. She's a great performer and a great singer. And I got to play a couple songs with her at the last Virginia Coalition show because her band was opening for us. And that was that was so fun for me because I got to just go out there for two songs and we played two Astrovia songs. And, you know, I could focus my bandwidth on just making those sound good, you yeah, know. But yeah. to do a whole show of that to me is... I don't know. It's like, I guess it's more stress than it would be reward at this point for me. I just, I'm just a record guy. I love making records and, um, yeah, I, I see. I mean, you jump back on the, on the sort of the, a duo of the two of you. I do see like bands like Matt and Kim mm -hmm. or the Ting Tings even. And there's sure. another band I, 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 I'm drawing a blank on, which is more similar to the Ting Tings that came out around the same time. But you know, these bands that tour together and they basically have two instruments that they might be playing at yeah. best. Sometimes they're, you know, I mean, they have a, they'll have some kind of a, 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 a laptop a sample going yeah. while the other one plays the drums, for example, mm -hmm. and then she's just singing or something. But have you, I mean, have you, did you ever explore doing that where you just write songs for two people essentially um, that you can be replicated or is that yeah. just... Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think we would have to do something like that if we were going to do it. But to me, like, and not to take away from bands like, you know, Matt and Kim and all that, but it's like, I feel like they're when you have too much that of a show that is just recorded already, I kind of like get right. bored and lose interest because there's not, there's not really any danger or, or you know, cause to me, a part of the live shows thing is that you, it can go off the rails. Sure. And that's the exciting part is yeah. that, or that you do, or you or, can improvise and do something that, that wouldn't necessarily right. have happened. If, that would be amazing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so to me, it's like, you know, if I had more free time, I think, and it would be kind of fun to put something together where, you know, we, we could do those things, justice live i would definitely be interested in doing that but to me i it's a i just like getting to hang out with her and make new like we just put out a song um a couple months ago like a single and you know made a little video for it and you know some people dug it and so to me that's that's uh i think that's where that project is at um but you know i, I definitely like the uh, ability to go sit in with her occasionally and just kind of yeah. shake off the cobwebs a bit yeah so in no future project that you're planning with her necessarily um no i mean just her solo records coming up um we're gonna do i think a five or six song ep for olivia and the mates which is her, right, back, her band yeah her band yeah um which i'm really excited about um just based on having played with with them at that show a couple weeks ago um and the new songs i've heard are great um so that's gonna be fun yeah um but yeah i think she and i are just pretty much like we get together and it's and instead of like playing tennis we just make a song you know what i mean like yeah. that's the kind of that's what our friendship is is kind of hinges on it's like just you know we do whenever we get together we don't get much done because we just are like talking and sure. it's kind of like the, the joke good, but good friends right and it, you know after enough of that a song is kind of just there and it's cool you know and then we move on do something else yeah well, I look forward to hearing uh, some new stuff by them since I've got turned on a little bit just doing research on you. Cool, yeah. Well, that's how it works, man. That's the rabbit hole. So a quick editor's note, when I was interviewing Jared, I asked him about his latest project, a collaboration with Kevin Atkins called Franklin Gotham. Unfortunately, the first portion of this part of the interview disappeared during the editing. I'm not sure how, but when you're an amateur editor, things happen that way. So I apologize to both Jared and Kevin. So after a short sample of Franklin Gotham's Casanova, we pick up the interview with Jarrett discussing how he writes music with Kevin. When we first met, I felt like Casanova. From across the room, I could feel you coming over. And I left to you like sunshine to a flower. Right then I knew I was helpless to play. your power. Um, just, there's not a lot of, like, debating on parts you know it's like he lets me kind of do my thing right and he does his thing and then you know spike we call it the drummer spike uh he does his thing you know and, and, and we're kind of like hands off for for you know the most part about each other's parts and it's just it's this kind of very easy um thing that ends up you know sounding like something that you know that that uh 
Sure. I was going to say the earlier the earlier part that you were talking about when you said he brings you sort of lyrics and a vocal line uh, kind of reminds me of but his, in sort of a classic rock sense didn't the, the Doors kind of with Jim Morrison had all this poetry that he kind of right. had read and they basically put music to it yeah. right and yeah. so he had kind of the lyrics first and then they put the music to it, it sort of sounds in a different way but some, it's like reverse similar. yeah but it, and that's what's interesting I mean a lot of bands and I feel like in the 90s uh, in particular too like you know bands like the Smiths or REM where the singer didn't play an instrument you know like um their their mo I think was to by and large write all of the music and then kind of deliver it to the singer and then the singer would then like kind of figure out what it's about based on how it sounds and right. stuff like that and then and, put something over it yeah and so harm- this is kind of like line. but this is like the reverse of that which is it's interesting and it's and that's why it's um, exciting for me because yeah. it's like a lot of creative control um, and it's it's he's not he doesn't micromanage what I'm doing and seems to dig whatever ends up happening which is I really appreciate um, just because it's like you know he's because for me writing lyrics is I take it very seriously and it and it comes it's a very slow process so right. it's it's fun to have someone deliver you lyrics that you can then you know hopefully do a service to sure do you guys sort of similar maybe to Astrovia but do you guys ever or you don't play out much no I mean like uh, I, I like it's that's the probably the, the thing like with that like and again that would be another one of those like it would never sound as good as it does to me on the record right. so like and and like a lot of people that come through here, like, you know, that the people that I work with at the studio here, most of them, if not all of them are performing, you know, like live musicians, you know, and I think I, it's confusing to a lot of them that I'm not like, you know, I feel like, I, you know, to me, it's, it's got to be the right, you know, environment and right, you know, right. I, I'm just, I think it's a combination of having played so many shows and just being into production on such a level that it has to like, I have to. It, if it doesn't sound like, you know, at least a certain amount like the record, I start to get like a little frustrated or something. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, I can see that you're you're having worked with you in the past. You're you are somewhat a perfectionist. I can tell. Uh, you get down to the very minute details right. of what sounds right. So that's good. I mean, you and get... a lot of it's 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 not like I'm like the people I'm playing with are you know they're sucking. You know, it's like it's it's, it's my own limitations live that right. I um that are most frustrating. I think to me. So that's why I prefer to just let the you know, the songs be what they are. And then, and I know Kevin plays shows with, with like a backing band. Um, and, they, and I think they do play some of the Franklin Gotham songs. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So I, I think that they do, I might be wrong, but I think that I would imagine that he does that. Have you ever gotten any interest from any labels for his music or? Um, he pretty much handles all that stuff. Um, I don't, I, I don't think so. I mean, I know that, um, that, uh, some of the stuff is like charted on like college radio and stuff like that, yeah. um, which is cool. You know, it's cool that 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 the stuff has legs. And I mean, he's he's really good about making sure people hear the music um, and you know making videos and stuff yeah. like that. So it's and his videos are cool, but they're well done. Yeah, um, uh, Robert Higgs is is a guy um, that he actually made um, an Astrovia video as well back in the day. He made the the, the video for Fame. Um, okay, and then he but he did he does. Um, a few of the Franklin Gotham videos as well. So he's, he's very talented. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's good. The, it is important, I think to, to have a, in this day and age to have a good video to go with a song that you really want to promote, because that's how I think a lot of it gets listened to again. Yeah. Uh, is Hey, the video is cool. Let me watch it and then listen. But then the song sort of gets in your ear. Yeah. Um, that's, then, that's the plan. That's yeah. the hope. And there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of bandwidth and a lot of, you know, competing thing, a lot of channels yeah. out there. Yeah, of course, that kills the radio stars. Yes, the, the song. I don't even know what's killing what anymore. But <laughs> actually, well, so I was I was going to jump in just really fast and, and uh, ask you about your um, your studio. Uh, is it my is it my new mixtape or is it mixtape studios? So, I always get this screwed up. So my so when I release music of my own, like my solo stuff, like not astrovia, like it's confusing. There needs to be like a, a diagram of what what is what because some of the lines are blurry but like yeah. when I put out music that is music that I've written and play most of the things on it's called my new mixtape okay. that's the moniker I go by and that was based on in the old days when I started writing music that I knew wouldn't be for you know Virginia Coalition or for another project I started keeping them in a iTunes folder and it was just called my new mixtape because it was like like the mixtape in the sense of like you know like a cassette that you just keep a bunch of songs on you yeah. know so, and then when I was going to put out my first record, you know, years, a couple of years ago, I think it was like 2007 or something. Um, I, I didn't want to put it out as my name. Right. And then, cause I, I wanted, 
I wanted the music to be the thing. I didn't right. want it to be like I wanted it to be assessed based on what it sounded like, not not using your name, it. yeah, uh, Virginia Coalition, and so I wanted it to be like just you know, so so I just went with my new mixtape as the name for that. But so then fast forward to you know a few years ago when I was trying to open the studio here, I was thinking about names and you know like and then I realized that it was you know the obvious answer was just to keep it in the, in the family, you know? So I just went with mixtape studios. Yeah. Well, that's cool. The, uh, so your studio is, is, is in your house essentially, or outside of your house next to it in the garage. And, and I did record a song here and it's a, and we're sitting in it right now. As a matter of fact, it's, it's nicely laid out. It does have a cool sort of warm vibe to it. Um, the, the, uh, are you planning to expand anymore or try to, you know, put in more soundproofing or, um, I mean, it's always kind of a work in progress. I'm always moving stuff, you know, spinning the drum kit around or whatever, you know, there, basically it's three rooms now. Like, and, and when I started, it was just one tiny overdub room. And then last summer I built out the, the live room. So like the, the main performance area. And yeah. then over the, the winter holidays, I, uh, finished the, the kind of lounge area and my wife found an awesome, orange couch on craigslist that was, i like it was the final you know flair that we needed for the rock and roll uh i do i do like aesthetic it. but uh yeah so i mean i don't know i mean i'm kind of out of real estate at this point i would need to like build to, yeah. to do anything more the one thing i would like to do at some point is have some sort of restroom facilities out here sure. but you know so people aren't tr- uh, trampling through your house yeah well I'm sh- your family or whatnot yeah i mean you know most of the time people are here like on a weekday when there's nobody at home or whatever but in and the people that come here are all pretty nice except for a few <laughs> so you know, you, exceptions are you still uh in in your you you kind of mentioned you've been doing um audio recording audio engineering since high school essentially it sounds like honestly certainly right after high school i mean it, i started Probably in junior high school, junior high like school. where I would have like, you know, like a Radio Shack mixer and two tape decks and we'd just go back and forth and add something each time you would, you know, like record something, play it through the mixer onto the other da- tape deck and add like another guitar and then back yeah. and forth and back and forth. So that's kind of how I started. Um, always was fascinated with sound and like manipulating sound and, and you know, backwards stuff, like just all that stuff. And I, right. I still feel like a kid, like I'll, you know, just reverse something just to hear what it sounds like, just because it's like, you know, it's always interesting to me. And do you feel, do you feel like you're still learning at this point? You're like, Absolutely. You know, when you're recording a new band, you yeah. say, oh, I didn't think about doing this or yeah. trying this. or For better or for worse, yeah. It's like, you know, and I, like, I don't, you know, I don't think there's ever like a, a time where you're going to be like, well, that's it. I know everything. Like, yeah. it, to me, it's like, because technology changes and tastes uh, change and uh, every project you work with has got a different set of challenges and um you know things that they excel at so it's like there's i love that every day i have something different that could be challenging or right. you know and figuring out a way to kind of like overcome that is part of what i like about doing it um was it oh wait do you have to as sort of a, i mean it, it's unique to everybody a skill such as audio recording have you developed any kind of I was going to say unique techniques that, that you use that you think are, are that, that you sort of created or that you use when you're recording that other studios may not or. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think it's like a patchwork. It's like what, what I think, and this is probably most people, it's like you just, well, so I was privileged enough along the Virginia coalition arc to be in a bunch of like really awesome studios and watch people, you know, some with, you know, like Grammys hanging up, you know, do what they do. So I think I, for me, it was just, picking up, you know, little helpful hints from a bunch of different people and kind of putting them into like prioritizing into this thing that, that, that is how I work in the studio and like, you know, kind of emulating the things that I think are important in work. Sure. And, and, but yeah, by and large, it's just, you know, it's kind of just a learn as you go. Yeah. But you haven't, like I, I was, there was, what was I watching recently? I think it was actually a video and it was talking about how John Bonham had one of his songs recorded they did it in the hallway in this you know castle mm-hmm. or in this big mansion because of the reverb that it would get off right get, give off and, and or the echo and and you know the sound engineer clearly wanted there so we should try this and put it in here in this have you yeah. do you ever try to do those kind of exploring absolutely exploring where you're like we should move to this direction or go somewhere else to record or- yeah no i mean i i um it's the other day we we were doing an uh an intro to a song with an artist that was here um dusty murphy is his name um and he's got a kind of a throwback vibe, you know, kind of a roots, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tom Waitsy kind of a, a okay. thing. And we wanted the intro to sound like 
kind of bad and like you know like an old you know it's like you know kind of like the old yeah. Yeah, yeah but not you know not the like because you get like you can get a plug-in that makes it sound like a record and like if you just throw that on there it's kind of cliche so to me i to take it up uh one notch from just like the cliche kind of like oh we'll make it sound like an old scratchy record i like i took him outside um so you could like hear the birds and like the neighborhood noises and i had him cut the intro outside on the patio um and then fuck that sound up so it's like it did, it did sound like an old record but it also sounded like he was just outside like yeah in the world instead of you know just trying to so with, for me with i think ambient noise going by yeah exactly and then maybe with you know there's like a trash truck going by or something whatever it was but to me it's like i think that if maybe answers the question of like i'm at any given point on any given song i want at least one thing even if it's super non-noticeable just to be a little different than something that you would have heard before you know right. and it's you're never gonna you know, everything can't be unique and, and cutting edge, but like there's just to always have that kind of like look for that one little spot in in a mix or in a song where you can do something creative that maybe wouldn't have been obvious, you know. Right. So I know I was going to say, I know some of your one or two of your songs were used in movies mm-hmm. and or um, a, a commercial. Was that what, a, with a movie and a, a TV show or something? Yeah, there, there's been a couple of the various projects there, like an Astrovia song was in. A, you know a documentary and you know there there's it's like a patchwork of right. kind of like you know licensing and stuff like that but yeah i mean the 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 most recent one and it was you know probably two years ago at this point but um i had a song in a movie that um won the sundance like best picture at oh, that's for cool. 2017 and it was a friend of mine who made the movie so i mean you know full disclosure it's like it's not like you know some you know, director heard it and was like, this is it. But like, he's this guy making Blair and he's just been a super champion of the music I've been making for years. And he's used it in other stuff as well. But this was like, you know, where I think it really lined up and was you know, something really special, obviously right. on his end. Um, and, and to be, to say that I appreciate him, including me and stuff like that would be a huge understatement. Did, did that bring you sort of some acclaim or attention? Did you feel phone calls coming in a no, little I more? Mean, there was a few, like, I, like I got a weird email from this girl in Norway when she was like, <laughs> and she was like, Oh, this song is amazing. Like, you know, but I can't, but I'm also terrible about making my music available online. Sure. Like I, I, I make records and, and don't, I'm not on Spotify cause I, I don't agree with that for, you know, I don't, I just don't think it's a fair you know, situation, right. Uh, monetarily or ethically what they're doing. But, but I understand that if you're a young band and you're touring and you have to get people to hear your music, that that makes sense. But for me, I don't need to be on Spotify cause I'm never going to be touring and trying to get huge crowds. So to me, I would rather just have a hundred people hear my music the right way, the way I want them to hear it. But being in a movie is the one way I can yeah. get exposure. Certainly. And so it was cool to hear this, you know, just this random email comes in and, She's like, I don't know how to find your music, so I just like mailed her a record, which <laughs> just, just between you and me, mailing a record to Norway was not as uh, inexpensive as I was hoping. I could imagine. No, I have so, been overseas, and it, it does cost a lot yeah. to mail something. There's no media mail internationally. So. No, and it doesn't it doesn't get there very quickly. No, either. I don't know if she's she, <laughs> it's she probably like a it, month. Yeah, especially for something she'll like get they, it and be like, who? What is this? Yeah, she'll have totally <laughs> forgotten. Um, I was sort of along what I was getting get at, sort of along that had any of the recording that you've done here gone on to be on a mainstream or on an album that's being heard mainstream. Um, and, and I say mainstream, that doesn't have to mean pop, but you know, it's at least in a, like the college record scene or the, um, I mean the Franklin Gotham stuff is definitely like, um, at least that I know of. I mean, a lot of times, I, you know, like if a band, like I'll see a band a lot for like three months when they're making a record, then mm-hmm. I won't see them for, you know, they'll be off in the world doing their right. thing. So I'm not always sure what's going on after. Um, but the, you know, there's, um, I, I'm, and it's also hard because nowadays it's not as obvious. Like there's not like, you know, there's like Apple music and there's Spotify. And there's, sure. So it's like, it's everything's so kind of fragmented and available all the time. It's hard to know what's doing anything. Um, but I know that most people that come through here and record stuff, their music ends up on like a streaming service. And so you can, it can be checked out in the world. Fine. I was just curious if, you know, if there was like not, I, I know um, uh, giving bands plugs may not, be a big thing but if there was some band that recorded here that said well you know for my studio they recorded this and 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 this went on to an album you know that was released by emi or you know yeah i don't know i mean i don't Geffen think or <laughs> i don't know that i just don't know that 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 is really happens much anymore okay. on on any sort of like because it's mostly albums really aren't the same they don't work the way they used to not yeah they don't even think they work yeah. like they well, don't even like cd like, or i don't know how you actually get to music anymore yeah i know i mean and that's that you know that's part of the whole bigger conversation of the devaluing of 
art and music and stuff like that. But, um, you know, until, until we figure out, you know, a way to, to kind of beat the internet, like you know, it's just the way it's going to be. And, and if you're a young band that needs to be relevant, you just need to play that game. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I think that's sad because it does, when you have every song always available all the time, you're never going to be motivated to stick with something and grow to love it. If it's a sure. little bit challenging, maybe. And, you know, I think we're, you definitely lose more. I think you gain a lot with the technology and the convenience, but I think you're, we, we as music listeners and fans of it are losing a lot more than we think we are with the whole environment. That's a, that would be maybe a, a, a good topic for another discussion. A whole another conversation. Well, yeah. well Jerry, we put on the coffee. Yeah, we, we've covered a lot today. And I and uh, for the listeners who are going to listen to this and do listen to this, I want to give a plug for Jared's studio, mixtape studio out here in sort of Franconia, Virginia, I guess, near yeah. Alexandria. Well, yeah, we're Fairfax County, Alexandria City, so we're kind of close to everything. Yeah, and, and he's super easy and cool to work with, and I think you would totally enjoy uh, using a studio. Um, and, uh, again, if you need to contact him, I know he's on Facebook, uh, he's got a website and, and everything. So yeah, it's uh, mynewmixtape.com. Um, and then I'm on the Instagrams as mixtape studios as well. Great. And, um, all right, well, well, uh, Jared, again, thank you again. And I wouldn't mind having another interview at another time with you. Cool. Maybe discuss other types of concepts with music. Yeah, man. So thanks again for joining the show. My pleasure. We'll chat later. I want to again thank Jarrett for the interview, and I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. I hope to catch you next time on the Jackson City Social Club. A sip from you and my cup was spilling over And now I'm racking my brain for something to remember How you looked that cold night in December I want this to be something you remember In your last drink, leaning softly, kiss me on the cheek.